Hey guys, Steve here, Potent Ponics. Today we're going to talk about growing with fishes. Growing with fishes. Welcome to Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 317. Uh, today we have a, uh, our third uh, Thai guest in a row. We've had a kind of a great streak here. We had uh, Juke on uh, earlier from Canatai Seeds. We had M from uh, Infamous Gardens. And this week we have their friend, um, uh, Recreational Rosin. Thanks for coming on today. You've been uh, one of the bigger players and important people here in, out in Thailand making things happen. And I uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We also have uh, Wes Engine. How's it going, Wes? Yes, I want to go on, Rude Boy. Big up Potent Ponics. Big up Recreational Rosin, Dave. And big up Infamous Prophet. Hope everybody's well, living the best life. Big up a whole chat. <clears throat> and what's up, Infamous Gardens? How's it going? Uh, good morning, everyone. Once again, uh, glad to be back on the show. And uh, I'm excited to hear this one personally. This is something I've been uh, waiting for since I heard it's going to happen. So I'm excited, bomb-packed, and uh, I'm ready to go. You helped make it happen. Uh, so we got to thank you for the episode. Um, I also wanted to give a quick thank you to Rasta Jeff, Dutch Blooms, and American One. Um, we got a, a whole bunch of great uh, genetics that we're running out here. Uh, thanks to all those people. Um, I also wanted to give a quick plug to our, uh, before we get started, um, we do have our uh, pest control class over at apmjclass.com, or sorry, thepestclass.com. Um, we have a full length of stuff. I actually have a whole new video series on the IPMO. It's going to be added. It's a much longer format than, than what we posted on YouTube with a bunch of uh, extra content on it. So check that out. Um, we also have uh, another video coming out on the IPMO uh, uh, as well on YouTube. It's going to include the brewing the application and then we're going to do some a third video it just shows some test results before and after with some captured insects from around so i think you guys are really going to like that and then also check out um our course over at uh, uh aquaponic uh, cannabis Masterclass. Uh, oh shoot anyways uh, i pulled up the wrong link but you can see here we have tons of different courses it's it's a whole long list of classes and lectures so and, and live sessions as well and we constantly add new content so um, be sure to check that out at apmjclass.com. Um, we have a, a just a, a seven or eight days worth of content now over there, and we're, we'll be adding a bunch of new stuff here from the big operation we're working on in Thailand with a bunch of updates on a lot of the microbial stuff and a bunch of other fun stuff that I think you guys are going to enjoy. All right, guys, um, be sure to check out our guest today over on his Instagram if you want to find out more uh, about him in the future over at Recreational Rosin. And you can find out more about some of his amazing work that he's done in the past. He's worked on some of the bigger growers. Joining us today, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit? Uh, uh, I mean, you were telling us about all kinds of cool stuff before the show, uh, uh, you know, uh, on, on, about Thailand. But thanks a lot for, for joining us. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. And, you know, it's uh, good to be able to talk a little bit about what's happening here in Thailand and uh because it's been a very interesting journey over the last few years. I came in 2019, just before COVID hit. And the pictures you're seeing there uh, were taken at the first farm that my friend Ryan and I consulted at. And it was the first uh, private cannabis grow 
out that wasn't owned by a, a government entity. And um, the president of the National Farmers Council uh, is what brought us over here in the first place. He had been part of this whole movement to start a medical cannabis um, industry here in Thailand. And he's been the National Farmers uh, Council's president for almost a decade now. And so for 10 years, he's been going around teaching all of his countrymen um, in every province in Thailand about natural farming. So it was a really good fit for us um, in the very beginning when we got here. It was a great chance to explore um, grow methods and start to understand the climate of Thailand. And um, before I came to Thailand, I was uh, living in Mendocino County in a small town called Willits, um, growing in the hills uh, in Southern Humboldt since uh, the late, you know, about 2010. And so, you know, in that area, you've got every kind of growing uh, available to you. So I was, you know, squishing rosin at the very early onset of, uh, of the concept and have been running uh, an indoor and an outdoor operation in California for about a decade before I came to Thailand. And oh, it's been very, very cool over here. Um, the National Farmers Council took us all over the country to help spread the word of natural farming. We visited the most southern parts of the country and the most northeastern and northwestern parts while I was really jet lagged. <laughs> so they'd bring me to the meeting and I would promptly fall asleep to the uh, language that I couldn't understand at all in the, in the very front row. <laughs> so that was kind of fun and embarrassing. But, uh, you know, now I've been here and climatized. Uh, I'm super grateful for like what's happening uh, with cannabis in Thailand. It's finally opening up. There's talk of restricting it again, but um, I highly doubt they'll be able to get this cat back in the bag, so to speak. Hopefully, I think uh, a lot of us here on the show today would be uh, <laughs> looking for somewhere else to go. Turn dreams into nightmares of that situation, I tell you, that would be uh, that would be pretty sad. Yeah, it's been really interesting over here. When I first got here, before we started that farm, actually where I met uh, Infamous Gardens here was at a festival in Buriram, like the largest and biggest uh, festival for cannabis in the country at the time. And it was held at this uh, billionaire's Formula One racetrack. And uh, man, that was fascinating. They had pavilions everywhere, and just everybody talking about their weed. And there was already like a huge underground um, industry here happening and so like on the day of that event you weren't supposed to sell any weed but people were there with caps and seeds and and everything and over 200,000 people showed up to that event in the three days that it was going on and uh there was just so much enthusiasm what's hilarious though is I got I collected a stack of business cards this tall and half of them were from cops <laughs> So <clears throat> if that's not a little lesson to learn, it's like, what, why do I have all these business cards from cops? I just couldn't quite uh, fathom it. And then I was explaining that to my friend and he's like, oh, well, that's because they want to help. But like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're taking over their industry. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of hilarious. I like, oh, don't want to step on those toes in particular. Um, but yeah, it's been 
you know, it's been a wild ride since then. They had this whole CBD movement that they were trying to um, start over here. And as you know, June 9th, uh, a new law came to effect that delisted cannabis from their narcotics control. And so it basically just became another plant. And prior to that, there had only been 400 registered CBD companies and about 20 CBD extractors listed. And so the country went from 400 small groups who, were, who had no realistic business plan for three years. They dumped all of this money into universities and the contracts and equipment and facility build out, all with like no way to get that product to the consumer. And then June 9th happened and cannabis flowers like instantly decriminalized. And within one month, you had 300 dispensaries crop up between Bangkok and Chiang Mai and all of these other, uh, the original 400 were like, why did we spend millions and billions a bot to not have a customer, to not have anything to sell to these clients? Because prior to June 9th, anything that was going to go into a food, an edible, a drink or whatnot, literally had to have FDA approval. And so you can be a CBD farmer and a CBD extractor and you can sell your stuff to a processor, but that processor, that beverage company, that food company or whatever to release the product, they've got to send the formulation and the samples and, and everything through a group at the Thai FDA. So imagine what the CBD market would have looked like in the United States. It went from like nothing to everything overnight. And then the individual states came in and tried to like regulate CBD products inside of food and drinks and things like that. And so there were like little raids all across the United States, you know, uh, trying to hammer down on whatever. There wasn't any laws that uh, CBD distributors were breaking. Right, except like again with the US FDA. So the US FDA uh, sheriffs across the country were using those regulations to enforce laws against dispensary owners dispensing CBD inside of food and stuff like that. And so instead of that happening here, nobody released anything. I saw billions of probably like $2 billion. US dollars go into the 400 companies that were trying to build dispensaries and facilities and extract facilities and grow facilities all with nowhere to sell it. And then overnight, um, every mom and pop in Thailand, every gangster and gardener suddenly had a viable industry when those trying to sell CBD still can't sell CBD without FDA approval. Like, Right now, you can go and buy super dank off of any street in Sukhumvit um, and get stoned out of your gourd. But if you're looking for CBD for inflammatory response and just that, still expensive, still difficult to find. You can find it online in black markets easier than you can get it um, on, the, on the legal market. And so like, I bring all of this up because you know, irresponsible governance is a very dangerous thing. You know, when the farm bill was passed in 2018 in the United States and thousands of farmers rushed out to field their fields with hemp, when they didn't have anywhere to sell it, 
where they had processed it wrong. Um, you know, these guys were baling wet hemp. I heard of a guy in Washington, he had a consultant come out, the consultant could smell the mold as soon as they opened the door to their truck because this guy had farmed 40 acres of hemp and then wet bailed it under somebody else's recommendation. And she came out, saw the mess and said, there's not much I can do with your moldy weed. You've got some real premium compost right there. Well, before she made it home, the guy hung himself, you know? And so it's like irresponsible governance is extremely dangerous. And right now in Thailand, you have those 400 companies that have spent 2 billion US dollars to develop the CD, CBD industry, basically have the, the rug yanked out right from underneath them by another political party. And so it's a very interesting um, thing that's happening in Thailand because you've got a legal industry that had all of these promises and then this recreational slash medical industry that uh, has been unleashed with very little regulation. And when you know, you've got something that's unregulated and then this other group that's extremely regulated, uh, when you have things that are so diametrically opposed to each other, reactions happen, right? Like, so this law that's non-existent right now is going to change very soon. And, and what's sad and what I predict is that the $2 billion that has gone into the economy isn't gonna go unanswered, right? And so like what I see happening is um, real strict licensing for all of the producers, right? They'll like make you, um, they'll put the cost so high uh, that the average person won't be able to sell their cannabis at a dispensary because the licensing will be too expensive. Or they'll say, oh, it's only medical grade if it's grown indoors. That's another little misnomer I, that's kind of is irritating over here. I'm like, you know how much medical cannabis was grown in the West Coast of the United States? Um, and none of it was uh, on a, you know, plenty of it was grown indoor, but it wasn't classified as medical where it was grown. That was a legal term. And so uh, folks have, have taken legal terms and turned them into terms of quality over here, you know, so that's kind of another fascinating aspect. These, these folks are trying to make their money back. Uh, sorry, we got some destruction going on right here. I'm on five on the internet. Um, yeah. Can we do this later? <laughs> we, have, uh, we have the same problem sometimes too. I had uh, one of the shows last week, they had to come fix the air mini split directly above my, my thing here, and I had to like just hop off the channel for a minute <laughs> yeah that's how it goes sometimes right like i said i had a whole crew here doing work and they're just hanging up some stuff um but no yeah, a little distracting sorry i've got the attention span of a freaking greyhound <laughs> so uh so um what has it been like uh growing especially at the bigger scale out there what have been some of the challenges i know often uh, the spider mites and stuff can be a challenge for a lot of people here um yeah so you know, I came with a bit of commercial experience and um, we had almost no problems with uh, spider mites at any of the grows that I've been at because we've always used uh, compost teas. I used uh, Jadam wetting agent um, and I've had very little uh, bug pressure. The one major challenge so far has been ants. Like they are 
mean little bastards. You can you can lay out uh, borax traps and uh, lay out. Uh, you can spray wood vinegar everywhere, and that'll keep them from you know attacking initially. But if they smell those plants, like they want those cannabis plants worse than like cows do in the fields of Humboldt, I swear. Um, uh, termites are another issue, but wood vinegar, uh, biochar help a lot. So before we plant out here, a sprinkling of biochar does a lot to keep the termites away. And then if you top dress with some biochar after a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, that can help keep them at bay. Right. But if they find a plant that they like, nothing but like yanking it out will save that plant or, you know, save your, your other plants, I should say. Um, so we had good, healthy plants in this row. And I showed up the next day and all of the hairs were brown. What the hell did they spray last night while I wasn't here? And uh, it had been invaded overnight by a, an ant colony. And so, you know, that's the tough challenges. The other issues are. Uh, moths and caterpillars. So those are just everywhere. And obviously you're not spraying your buds. And so like the pest control at that point is if you're outside, you're a little bit more reliant on healthy plants and having enough. Um, we had to use uh, light traps to try and keep the moths off. Cause if you're out there spraying BT, Bacillus thurogenesis on your plants during flower, you're not doing anybody any favors, you know? And so um, we were able to control uh, some of the moths with light traps on the perimeter of the garden, you know, like a few meters outside of the big fence that we had. But um, yeah, if you're not spraying during veg outdoors, you're gonna have some pretty gnarly bugs. And I've had real good success with the, uh, the wood vinegar out here that they make out of bamboo. It's got parasitic acid in it. It's got the highest concentration of parasitic acid of any um, hardwood wood vinegar when they make it out of bamboo. And so not only is it like a hell of a defense mechanism for the plants, but it's also like a hormone stimulant, right? It makes them grow like wildfire. First time we sprayed it on the plants, um, I was the second person to arrive at the garden the next day. And uh, my partner's like, man, you should go see those plants that we sprayed. It's like, oh shit, what did we do? He's like, they're amazing, you know, because the wood vinegar had just worked so well. It shined them up and made them uh, just really gives them a lot of uh, invigoration and they grow like wild. And it's a hell of a deterrent, but it sure makes your weed smell like smoke. So you gotta really, you gotta be careful about how you apply it, um, you know, not on the plant necessarily, but around it after after it reaches a certain maturity. And, um, you know, so the, some of the other challenges in Thailand, which have been, uh, you know, it's like a strategy that you have to change or adapt to is the light um, situation out here. So the days are short compared to the Northern latitudes, right? Like it's, it's, it hovers between 12 hours and 12 and a half hours of light throughout the year that now that we're closer to the equator. And so these northern strains, uh, these hybrids and everything out of California and Europe, if you veg it inside of a greenhouse under a light and then put it outside in the Thai weather, regardless of time of the year, it'll start to flip into flower right away. And so 
that's another strategy that folks can use to grow bigger plants out here, veg them nicely inside of the, you know, fenced off, netted off greenhouse with ventilation, which um, is another thing, growing flowers in greenhouses, Thailand, very problematic. Um, I've seen 99 failures for every successful flowering I've seen in a greenhouse out here. Um, that's where mold and humidity really become an issue because it's got nowhere to go unless you're ventilating that thing, clearing the air out of that huge greenhouse every few minutes. You know, it's, it's not going to do much for uh, condensation and stuff like that unless you're moving massive amounts of air. And so that was a strategy that we employed at, at Lana. We filled these 20 liter, five gallon uh, net bags and just smushed them all together and made these giant um, portable beds. And so we vegged the plants under LEDs, solar powered LEDs, so it was super cheap. And they got monstrously huge within a short period. And then the only problem is carrying a 20 liter, you know, full grown plant out into the field, uh, even with help. <laughs> it was a, a hernia inducing kind of a transplanting strategy, but it worked really well. We think like that year, that very first year, we pulled 4,000 kilos of biomass out of like not even two acres. Uh, so it worked really well for producing a crap load of plants. It would have been amazing um, medicine, but there was a, a disagreement about what to do with the males. <laughs> I say a disagreement because the understanding was there, but... Uh, they wouldn't remove the males because of strict government laws about harvesting. I'm like, we're not harvesting plants. We're getting rid of the males. And they're like, well, the FDA has got to be here to make sure we do it correctly. I'm like, yeah, so this is going to be a problem, I think, in Thailand for a while. <laughs> government regulations getting in the way of, you know, the market, the plant, biology, things like that. Um, yeah, so it's a very, you know, new industry here, and there's going to be a lot of learning curves for everybody included, you know, experts like yourself from, from other countries or uh, folks like myself who, you know, I feel like I've got like the, the knowledge. What I don't have is the complete understanding of the culture here to like kind of accept that they're trying to sabotage you half of the time. <laughs> you know, like with the government regulations, it's uh gets a little frustrating because you know I'm talking about those that two billion dollars that went into CBD and all of these super rich families are like, well, uh, we're not supposed to grow THC. What now? You know, so anyway, sorry, I'm all over the place. Like I haven't had enough cannabis to like increase that focus. I've just got the dabs, as I mentioned, running out of flour over here. Because holy crap, it's still expensive in Thailand. You know, you can get weed for two bucks a gram and in the States and here it's 20. And that's on the that's on the brand rate. <laughs> right. That, that's the homie price. <laughs> yeah. Well thankfully uh work of the big operation here so not too bad. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm pretty place. sure your homie price was a lot better than 20 bucks US gram. Oh, I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like good, like the value is 
is still there. So it's like hard to like hook up homies. You're like, man, I could sell that ounce for 500 bucks. You're lucky, you know? Um, Cause that's like just the price of weed right now. Uh, even the spider mite, uh, few buds available tie strains are going for uh, like four or $5 a gram, you know? And you could smoke a joint this big of that stuff and not get high because it's mostly leaf and stem and whatever else they decide to throw in there. You know, Cause they don't like the tie strains. So yeah, I, I've been so messed up by the terms sativa and indica that I hate to even say those words anymore. You know, they're like, where's that sativa? And I'm like, don't say sativa around me. Cause I've seen too much Thai sativa, uh, to like want to smoke any of it ever again. <laughs> You know, they're the uh, they've got some funny names for some of their strains out here. One of them, uh, one of the most famous Thai strains is called Squirrel Tail or Hangalok. And it's appropriately named because it grows this big, uh, a bunch of leaves and then very tiny little nuggets. You'll have like a few micro nuggets on this whole thing. And then when you go to buy their cannabis, they're like, yeah, here you go. It's 80% leaf and 20% bud. That'll be 300 baht. It's like, uh, I'm not going to get anything but a headache from smoking this stuff. So I've run into a bunch of folks too. They're like, yeah, we're going to breed some hybrids with, with the tie strains. And I'm like, that technically makes you a pollen chucker. Um, because interbreeding isn't how you uh, select for genetics, right? Like crossing tice sativas with indicas are gonna is this shotgun genetic effect and it's gonna give you such a variety that you've got five to ten generations of breeding to to solidify anything, you know, to create a recreatable uh, strain out of that shotgun effect. And so that's that's what happened at Petlana. Um, we had 700 hybrids out there and they're like, yeah, we're just going to let the male plants in, you know, the, the male strains go to flower. The Thai strains go to flower. And he's like, uh, the what now? And I was in the U S at the time, um, for Christmas. And I had to come back to a seed, a whole field of seeded weed. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a license to sell seeds either. <laughs> So I've seen a lot of bad business plans over here. Yeah. Oh, that whole field seeded. <laughs> no matter no matter what I had to say about it. And they were kind of funny, like, oh, we don't have the, the SOPs to properly uh, to harvest the weed. I'm like, well, why not? You know, like you got 300 books on the subject. Like, did you not know what the next step was? And so that's that's kind of the thing that's been happening to me here a lot. Like I come out, I'd had, you know, 12 plus years, 12 plus, you know, excellent seasons of growing cannabis in California. And we produce beautiful buds like this and, and on a shoestring budget too. They didn't give us any money to grow all this weed. It was just like a demonstration. And uh and then they fill it full of seeds because they won't let us rip out the males. In fact, we started ripping out the males and they were ready to throw us out over it. But uh, I wasn't quite sure 
there was so that you know this was like a whole political misadventure um because the guy that we were working with is very connected to the government he was an, uh, an ex-agricultural minister and so he had a play by the letter of the law which was not quite designed for allowing a successful cannabis growth in fact when we're at this grow and we're consulting at the very beginning and they're like all right so the plan with all of the biomass is to transfer it to the hospital i'm like cool so where are you going to dry it oh we're going to dry it at the hospital so you're going to transfer 4,000 kilos of wet weed so that's going to be more like 20,000 kilos of wet weed in ambulances to a hospital so that was their plan so it's been it's been a bit of a nightmare with the things that they tried to like get us to do and to and to make happen so there's been a lot of um, logistical issues to deal with and man that's happened year after year company after company until june 9th um happened where it's like oh now we can just sell weed it makes a lot more sense to to do that um but i did want to speak a little bit about um genetics out here and cool things that have been happening so after pet lana um i worked for a company called eastern spectrum group and they were a uh, very well-financed, well-funded company that was starting a huge grow and actually growing 40 acres of biomass in the province of Thailand called uh, Ratchaburi. It's in the southwest of the country, uh, down on the peninsula. And it's like a famous area for agriculture. And the field that they asked us to grow on had been... Um, scraped down to not the bedrock but to like the petrified clay because this whole 20 acre area that they wanted to take over was going to become an industrial ethanol plant because they grow a lot of cassava out here by the tens of thousands of acres uh, they grow cassava and they turn it all into ethanol some of it goes into biomass plants anyway the soil that we had to work with was not even soil um, it was, like I said, petrified clay, not just clay, but literally rock hard clay. There was a big, huge lake for us to work with. So we hauled in huh, truckload after truckload after truckload of compost and amendments, you know, and had these guys working on the field. Before we hauled in all of that uh, compost, they actually imported an Italian rock crusher to drag it through this field of petrified clay to break it up and to make it farmable. The insistence to grow on this particular property was beyond my, uh, my pay grade. <laughs> when I first saw the field, I was really hung over and they're like, can we grow here? And it's like, I wouldn't grow here if it was the last place on earth. Where else are you gonna grow? You know, I didn't have any filter installed. <laughs> so I was so hung over, but boy, they, they didn't care. They hauled in all of the, you know, the imported equipment, the rock crushers, they paid uh, special licenses to be able to import beneficial microbes that had been formulated to help create soil on the property. And, uh, you know, so they started this whole terraforming project on this uh, 40 acre plot. And you would not believe how successful it was. I, I just couldn't believe it. Like we hired an agronomist from the USA who had worked with uh, 
extreme gardening. This guy blows my mind. He's actually here in Thailand still. And when it comes to microbes, he makes me look like a, a, a baby, you know, just starting school. Um, so he worked with uh, a guy named Ephraim at Extreme Gardening. And, you know, they developed mycos and azos. And uh, he helped them formulate that stuff and actually create the factory to make it. And um, that was a very interesting um, uh, that was a very interesting development because with his microbes and all of the, the compost and amendments out there, they were able to grow some pretty dang amazing weed. And they used, um, they used autoflowers, 700,000 autoflower seeds in this field, 700,000 CBD autoflowers and uh, came out amazing. You know, there's uh, farms all over that place that are using who knows what to control their pests, but they could use completely organic methods. They had no, um, they had no uh, mites to speak of. It was really a, a beautiful garden. I should put some pictures up of that stuff because I was, you know, assisted a lot, but we had an ag team that was concentrating on that for us. At that time, I was helping them design and build uh, a very large ex uh, CBD extraction facility using ethanol. And so we were, you know, busy going through the rigmarole of uh, registration and development of GMP-approved SOPs and creating a safe facility to use ethanol. Um, but boy, this garden up in, in Petlana, that's the thing I'm still the most proud of. Because I think it's where I learned the most about understanding the environment in Thailand. You see, we lined... Um, so we put all of these plants outside in these uh, mesh bags and planted them right into the soil. Luckily, this the ground that was here before hadn't been farmed in for about 10 years. They had just been running goats on it. So it was really good soil. We had a tractor run through and create these big berms that we were able to plant in. And um, boy, the plants, when they first got out there, you know, they came straight from the greenhouse where they had been covered with like a 30% uh, uh, you know, fabric, blocked the sun, and then we put them right out. And they were a little bit shocked, of course, because he couldn't harden off um, a thousand plants. Uh, but we put the, they were rather large, but we put them out there. And within a week, they had overcome their shock and they had already sent out roots out of the bags. And I swear you could mark the day on your calendar when those roots touched, when all of those plants had been able to like establish their network again outside. You know, it, it was night and day difference. They went from like slow response to food and water to instantly praying again and uh, just being, you know, just being the incredible growing plants that they are. That they are. We covered the berms after the plants were planted with bamboo leaves. There's no other way to get organic mulch in this country unless you collect it yourself. Because there is not a spot in this country um, where they don't spray some kind of uh, amatocloprid or worse, you know, trying to protect their crops. Like bugs out here are pretty vicious. And so the farmers, um, are on a shoestring budget. They're living 
harvest to harvest. So uh, they do what they can to maximize. And, um, you know, we had a pretty good run out there despite, um, you know, nearby farmers using whatever methods. Um, but I tell you, once we were able to mulch those plants, that made a big difference by being able to cool down the bed that they're growing in and allow the microbes to reach out and, you know, it allows the mycelium to form. And so you've got that uh, network inside of the soil and allows the plants to transfer nutrients and water and whatever else that they use to communicate with. Um, just made a huge difference. You can see like we've got, normally if you put a plant like this outside in Thailand, if you just start it from seed, you'll have a, a six inch tall bud. But if you veg it under lights in a protected area, you can move out some massive plants. After all of these years of growing in Thailand, I'm not, I haven't been able to improve the method all too much when it comes to growing outdoors. Because anything that you start outside, just like straight in the sun, high chance of failure. Um, I've done a little bit of a bubble hash washing out of this crop, in fact, because it was just chock full of seeds and there wasn't much else you could do. And so when I was done with the biomass, I throw it over the fence, right? And uh, the next morning, there's an, a line of ants carrying all of the seeds out of the biomass back into their nest. Um, so like anything that you put in the soil, uh, the ants are there to get it. So what in this video here, you're seeing the hybrids that we grew on one side, one half of the farm and the tie strains that they grew on the other side did not produce a single gram of flour. Um, one very interesting thing, that's why I'm kind of sensitive to this whole sativa indica talk is because, you know, after extracting for years, there's no difference between THC that's from an indica plant and there's no difference from THC from a sativa plant, right? Some of the, uh, you know, the other cannabinoids and uh, other parts of the plant might be different while the plant is growing, while you're smoking the flower. But once you get to the concentrate, there isn't very much difference, right? THC is THC. It's those uh, phenols and terpenes and things like that that really differentiate bud. And then there's all of the genetic qualities that differentiate how a plant grows. And we had plants growing super thin leaves inside of the or outside of the greenhouse but the same clone grown inside of the greenhouse through big fat leaves and grew much shorter and so like you could like it was just so interesting to see how the plant would adapt itself um, you know being from the same mother plant you could have a clone inside that had the big fat leaves and then a tall plant with skinny leaves outside and so like the sun is an incredible, uh, powerful part of how the plant grows out here and really dictates um, how it grows. You know, uh, When I came here and saw how the plant struggled under the full sun, I realized, of course, that these plants grew under the, maybe evolved on the fringes of the forest, um, started growing under the canopy of the forest. And so like full sun, full California sun, is very different than full Thai sun. The sun here is, uh, we're closer to the equator, so it's a lot more intense. It's much more perpendicular compared to the angle that you get in the northern latitudes. 
And so I'll see plants that would normally be praying all day in the northern Humboldt sun. And they'll just straight up wilt from 11.30 to 2.30 under the full sun here in Thailand. And then as the afternoon passes, you know, as the, the heat gets a little bit less and that sun intensity decreases, the plants will come back to full prayer. Um, cannabis plants don't have that same uh, genetic programming, right? And so they'll sit there and just like get blasted by the sun. And then you'll look at the trichomes and they're almost melted. Like I've seen trichomes grow very few and far apart because the intensity of the sun was just too much. You know, like the, it just doesn't even have the juice to make the trichome. And it's common knowledge that the trichomes are used to protect the plant from UV radiation and, 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 and you know, just too much sun. But if it is really overpowering, they, can't, they don't even have the power to, to create that defense. And so one sad thing about these Thai strains is they don't have, they've got very low THC percentages. Um, often their CBD percentages are as, as high as their THC. And um, so, you know, you can smoke the stuff and not get anything except cloudy room. Um, there are heady sativa strains out there if they're grown right and, and um, not just left to the uh, mercy of the elements. But, uh, you know, a little bit of TLC goes a, little, a lot farther out here in Thailand because the plants need it. Um, we've definitely had to set up drip irrigation just to help maintain uh, humidity levels because you know there's a lot of confusion about the climate in Thailand. Before I came here, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, mold and mildew are going to be a real big problem." Well, in northern Thailand, from about mid-September generally through mid-April, it's called the dry season. Uh, it'll rain once or two or three times for the next few months, and as we get closer to April, we'll get more and more showers. That are a little bit more frequent, but um, from now till then, it's it's the dry season, and so this is the perfect time to grow cannabis, right? Like uh, Thai strains generally start to flower at this time of year. Um, they'll start, you know, the seeds will germinate themselves in the soil uh, March to April, and you can have a whole carpet of, of sativa strains growing, and then only the strongest will survive and outcompete the others until it's you know 15 feet tall and a gigantic bush but then it starts to bend over as the flowers develop right it's like this very interesting life cycle but like those flowers develop uh very quickly the plants um you know develop seed it gets pregnant very very fast whatever that proper biological word is for plants there and uh she starts to lay over so early you know, so it's um, like those high strains, they like to flower in the dry climate as the days are at the shortest that they ever get in the year, you know, right here before December 21st. Um, and so between now and then, you'll see the tie strains flowering, maybe up through January. Um, and so like, you know, hopefully wheat prices start to come down and, <laughs> and it starts to get out to the general public a bit more because as you both know, uh, Thai salaries don't necessarily don't necessarily reflect indoor quality. You know that stuff's expensive for your average Thai person. 
even folks working at 7-Eleven, um, you know, pretty decent jobs for out here. They're making like 20,000 baht a month. And so um, buying top shelf at 900 baht a gram just isn't in there. Uh, you know, isn't in their wheelhouse, so to speak. But, um, you know, for growing conditions out here, uh, we're quite lucky. Half of the year, you can probably grow two or three harvests with short, you know, with fast flowering plants like autoflowers and short strains, um, because you could veg them out to pretty decent size in a greenhouse where you're protected from the rain and everything to, uh, you know, put them right out into the field. And with these autoflowers that are coming out now, when I was in California, I had never even smoked an autoflower plant. It was like uh, autoflowers and stuff like that are um, almost dirty words to a California grower. But here in Thailand where the, you know, they're still learning, they don't even really understand photoperiod sensitivity, um, the lights, are different here in general. You know, you can't grow these like big giant bushy plants unless you spend all of this time flowering them inside of a greenhouse. You can't just put lights on a field out here because you're gonna call every last moth and caterpillar for miles and miles. And so you're just going to sabotage yourself if you try to do that out there, unless you've got really good biological controls. And so these autoflowers are kind of like a, a godsend in a way, because these things can start out in the field. You don't have to build any extra veg space to get them going. And uh, you know, some of these autoflowers, if you buy them in bulk, sell for a dollar or two a seed, which is less expensive than the cost of making your own clones, right? Like I could produce clones out here for like a dollar fifty, maybe a dollar. Um, not counting my labor. So, you know, with labor included, you're at least $1.52. Bucks. Um, and, you know, that clone's going to be a photo period plant. So you've got to veg it out if you just want to grow more than 10 grams, right? And so it, it's, a, it's a totally different growing strategy in Thailand uh, than growing in Northern California or, or Europe or indoors. You know, there's uh, different potentials out here for capitalizing on, on these opportunities. And it's, it's really eye-opening because in California, you've got a particular client, you know, whoever's smoking your cannabis or, 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 or whether it's medical or recreational. Here in Thailand, you've got a much wider customer base. In California, there was 30 million people, maybe uh, 3 million habitually smoked cannabis. Here, it's upwards of 10 million people are, are imbibing cannabis, but their pocket money is one one hundredth of your California customer. And so like your cost of production has to reflect your client base, right? Can't, uh, can't ever start, stop doing marketing. And um, so it's a really interesting time right now. We've got way more layers to the market than ever existed in California. You've got your high-end stuff that's selling in Kitty's, Kitty Chopakra's shop, you know, the one, two, three, four. Have you seen those prices then where they're selling grams from locally grown? Uh, 100, 100. And imagine when you pay those prices and you get it, and uh, sometimes there's seeds and shit in it. Um, oh, 
Yeah. Um, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. Well, so God bless Kitty and all her work and all that stuff. I'm not. I'm not here trying to like. Yeah. So. Yeah. Same. That's just the thing. There's all of these layers. There's there's weed for 1,200 baht a gram, and on Facebook and Instagram, you're getting advertisements for weed for 50 baht a gram. You know, a sixtieth of the price. And so it's just really cool to see that there's this, these fine delineations in the marketplace. And that allows for niches to really be developed and not exploited, but capitalized, right? So you can make a money, you can make some money in a niche. If you try and grow 2000 acres, fuck you, right? But if you, <laughs> you're gonna hurt the entire marketplace. But if you find a niche and, and do well in that niche, you know, you're benefiting the marketplace, you're benefiting the industry as a whole. Um, these huge cooperatives that are trying to do, grow way too much cannabis are, are going to hurt themselves and the industry in the long run by going too big. You know, just ask Canada, right? Like uh, Aurora, Canopy, all of these huge corporations, we're gonna do 120,000 square foot everything. That's just the mother room. Well, you know, you got to have a client, you got to have a marketplace to sell all of this stuff to. And if you don't understand your market, you're going to sabotage it in a way. And similar to what the Thai government has done to those $402 billion companies, you know, they're going to sabotage the rest of the market for us by putting forth legislation that benefits them. And so if we don't group together as a collective, as, as small farmers, as, as uh, consumers, you know, we'll get handed the expensive weed and that'll be it. It'll, they'll say, oh yeah, you can only sell weed if it's GMP, GACP, and they, they give you this list of certifications that it needs to have, none of which have to do with the quality of the cannabis, the genetics of the cannabis, none of which concern the consumer. They only concern the bureaucrats who don't even care about cannabis in the first place. You know, so there's a lot of pitfalls to growing cannabis in Thailand that are going to come after, they're gonna come with the regulation. And I say that with three years of experience of dealing with the regulation here. The regulators, the regulators operate this way. Like, you know, I was talking about the FDA. You want to get your product approved? No problem. Get in line behind the 2,000 other people who are trying to get their products approved. You want to get it approved this year? Well, you can jump to the front of the line, but that costs money. And that comes in a brown envelope and it goes under the table, right? And so, like, when that element exists, where those that can bribe that can afford to pay bribes are the ones that can, can succeed, you really have to tread cautiously. Because if you go big and act like you're not going to pay a bribe to survive, you've got something to learn and they'll shut you down for an illegal violation when they'll, you'll, they'll go through your stuff with a fine tooth comb and not find anything wrong, but you still won't be able to operate until you pay your tax, right? And boy, don't make us think about it 
or you'll get in a lot of trouble for making a stink about it. You know, it's just kind of the way things work out here. Like in the United States, you know, if you in California and different different uh, counties in California, a, a cultivation license can be $150,000 based on the size of your operation. And that's kind of like our, our version of corruption in the United States, like really expensive, unduly expensive bu bureaucracy. They don't work quite the same way here. You know, it's not $150,000. about inspectors too? Yeah, you're gonna have to just make sure that the local sheriff has got your back, you know? And I've seen it firsthand at that farm, like the, it's like, my friend put it this way. He's like, it's affordable corruption. Um, I was standing at the farm, very first year I was here, the sheriff, as, as part of like a, a tour of the facility, you know, he's like all happy, he's in his cop uniform. And in front of everybody, as part of a power move, part of like a, a search your dominance, he goes, and where's my big bag of wheat? Like literally just says it out loud in front of every government official that was there too. And right in front of everybody, it gets handed to him in a black bag, like all your stuff in there, you know, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your, your patronage. And, um, you know, licensed, legal, he was a Puyang and you still have to play by that game out here. And so, as an anti-authoritarian, I kind of have issues with that stuff, but I recognize it. You know, it's one of the things that you just gotta, gotta go, gotta roll with the flow. You know, in California, if CHP gets you while you're transporting something, you're screwed. There's not 500 bucks you can get the, give to the cop to keep on your way. He knows the value of that product and he's got a market for it, you know. They're gonna, the police forces, the, the police department can confiscate all of that weed and sell it on the open market. It, they've done it to all of my friends in California, so I know how it goes. But the guy, Nick, that's out here, he lost 800 tons to uh, a county in California, to a local uh, police department there. They said, oh yeah, you can't store that weed there. Uh, it was all biomass, it was all hemp biomass. And they confiscated it all because they'd stored it in town instead of just in the county. And the town had a weed ordinance and they didn't know that. And so it's like crap like that will happen to groups out in the USA. And it's all preventable in Thailand with enough, of, with enough cash under the table, right? So I hate to like even bring that kind of stuff up, but it's a reality um, that's you know, I just like to make my friends and, and colleagues aware of because gosh, you know, uh, Jupe, Canna Thai, he had to deal with the same kind of stuff, you know, crackdowns on tiny little mom and pop operation. And so luckily here at my farm, the family that, uh, that I live with and that I rent this property from, uh, he was already a political leader in the area. I'm connected to Prapot, um, the National Farmer Council's uh, president. And literally, those are the only reasons why I feel secure growing legally in Thailand because um, you, it just means my bribes are going to be cheaper. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a reality. If, they, if the 
if the popo show up at your place, they show up with like a, a, a squad car full of, you know, well-uniformed fit officers. And uh, if they have to come back, it's going to get a lot more expensive. <laughs> That's the lesson I've learned out here. You know, um, my friend was running a, a tourist business, just just catering to tourists, helping them find hotels and lodging and things to do in Thailand. And he still had to buy the local beat cop a bottle of whiskey every week or there'd be trouble. You know, these are just things that you learn when you're doing business in the country. But it's can also, you, sorry. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of the, we had a question in chat about some of the other um, pest control um methodologies that you found that worked and didn't work uh, we've had quite a few people asking the last couple episodes about that in thailand yeah you know so it's very it is difficult out here um you go to a, a a store and all you can buy are poisonous chemicals you know uh per, what do you call them systemic miticides and pesticides and things like that um i've had very good success using compost teas and JDAM wetting agent, you know, very simple, basically a plant safe soap. Um, flowering, <laughs> it's still difficult out here because um, you can't spray BT or Bovaria on your plants. And so um, grow indoors <laughs> with, with rock wool or just be willing to throw everything at your organic plants that you possibly can. Um, up until recently, you couldn't buy uh, predator pests, you know, like predator insects in Thailand. It was illegal to ship live organisms in Thailand for some reason. You, could sit, you couldn't mail bees and crap like that across the country. Um, but now they're slowly allowing people, like for the first time ever, you can buy ladybugs and things like that. But out here, I've only used uh, compost tea, wetting agent, and some biological controls that you can find online, like uh, Bovaria and BT, up to like week two or three of flower. After that, you're out there picking caterpillars off by hand or using a light trap, right? Like you can make a, get some sticky, uh, some greenhouse uh, sticky tape and shine a light on that a little bit away from your garden, and that'll attract the moths and things like that to go to that sticky trap. And I've put up fly traps because there are uh, these borer beetles. And if you put up a fly trap, maybe if you're lucky, they'll get caught on that fly trap instead of uh, uh, bore into your plant. Like I've had a lot of the hemp, like the bigger hemp trees that we grew in Petlana, all of them, like without fail had some kind of pest inside of the wood, right? Like the borer beetle is like the main pest out here. And um, so it's difficult, you know, you've got to do everything if you're trying to stay organic. If you want to just go systemic and make money and don't give a damn, then, you know, throw some of that pink crystal crap in the soil and you won't have to worry. <laughs> That's what I've seen plenty of times. You go and get a clone and it's like, it's all this pink crap in the soil. Oh, that's the bug spray. It's like, yeah, thanks. No, thanks. <laughs> like, I don't need systemics in my plants. Um, so, you know, mites are tough out here. 
grow inside of a net house if you can um, for outdoors or grow enough that you're willing to give some to mother, give some back to mother nature. Because <laughs> uh, they're tough little bastards out here. Uh, companion planting might be another thing I would suggest, like uh, throw up some uh, traps for the plants, for the pests to go to, and then maybe hit those plants with, with a systemic, right? And then you're, you're uh, defending um, your castle, so to speak, with disposable, you know, with the cannon fodder. You know, I call them Russian soldiers. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, you just like put plants out there that can take the, uh, the pests and you hit those with a systemic and then your flowers should be all right. You know, so those are those are my suggestions there. Well, I've used marigolds in that situation because they're so cheap. They're the king's plant. You can buy them everywhere for next to nothing. And often yeah. I'll put them throughout the field to attract the bugs. And when I just see that they're covered in aphids, I can just toss it over the fence or get rid of it and, and replace it. It's an, it's an easy little sacrifice. Um, but I never thought about spraying it with the systemics. That's probably a better way to go about it than just throwing them away and replacing them. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, spike pit, you know, the moat. Give them something that uh, kills them in droves before they get to your plants. Anything you can do to like discourage them attacking your plant is, is the best way. Because if unless you're, you are using a systemic, your flowers, your buds, your leaves, those are just begging to be eaten by the bugs. You know, we've all seen that internet meme on Facebook or, or Instagram where it's like if the bugs aren't eating your plants, they're not part of them of the system. You know, and that's really true. Like if you're going um, Growing something that can't be decomposted like a McDonald's hamburger, you know, that's not what we're really after. And uh, yeah, so pest control uh, is tricky and I hope to get better at it. I've got I'm planting 600 autoflowers in our field out here over the next two weeks. And so I'll have to report back on my biological and IPM controls out here because it's it's definitely an ongoing thing that I'm learning myself. I'll, I'll do all of the things that I've talked about though. I've got JDAM wedding agent already, compost tea brewers um, ready to go. And uh, you know, Bavaria, Bacillus thurogenesis, um, Bacillus subtilis to help control the pests in the soil. If you add enough subtilis, you shouldn't have uh, fungus gnats. And so um, you can also get diatomaceous earth pretty cheap out here. So a layer of diatomaceous earth after you've transplanted will protect your plant for, you know, a couple of weeks at the very least until you can top dress it again. Um, that's worked pretty well too for, for the babies as you harden them off outside. Um, but now that you bring it all up, I'm really nervous. <laughs> bugs, bugs are intense in Thailand. There was a picture circulating recently of some of the prettiest bud you've ever seen just covered in webbing and the person was showing off. They're like, check out my buds. <laughs> it's like, dude, the thing's covered in webs and they just don't even know. They just don't even know, you know? So it's like 1977 over here in some respects. Well, you remember when they have that festival here at a 360 and uh, I went through and did the video and I was showing, everyone was taking photos of these things and I was like, does nobody realize that every plant in this expo 
is covered in spider mites. And yeah. I, I went around taking photos of all the, the plants. And one of my friends at the booth hit me up. He was like, bro, you got to take that post down. My boss at the booth was angry. And but I'm like, bro, like you've, everyone who went to this convention came home with spider mites. You know what I yeah. mean? And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and they don't want to accept it. And they'd rather hide it and, sh and pretend it didn't exist than admit that, you know, they got hit by spider mites. And, and that's what's scary about the systemic thing here about farmers doing it. Because I feel with the whole face and I'm growing, um, there's a lot of people that will feel that they, they're losing face if they, if they lose a crop. So oh, yeah. it, it scares me to think about some of the things that people might do to ensure that they don't lose a crop to lose that face that maybe they're not showing people. So, you know, those are some of the other cultural aspects of, of being here that may be different than growing because I think people just tossing away a crop here may mean a lot more than what it means in Canada or California. Yeah, totally true. You know, lots of folks are going to put their everything into like every last bit of savings they can to, to produce some cannabis. And if it, uh, if it fails, yeah, it's a big, it's a big loss for them financially. And like you said, socially, like you don't worry about that necessarily in California. My first year, we had five hoop houses all next to each other and some wind came through and knocked uh, the light depth fabric off of one of the hoop houses. And I come to it in the morning. I'm like, oh, crap, no big deal. I pull the tarps off. Well, within a week, that whole hoop permed out, you know, and uh, man, it was beautiful 707 headband. It was this best smelling hoop and the best developed flowers we had. They were the fastest. And, you know, the boss calls it. He's like, uh, yeah, you've got pollen sacks on the fourth node. Chop them all down. The whole thing, you know, just over some herms. And uh, at the time, I thought that was crazy. But then, like, the, the property manager showed up. And he's like, man, if one of your herms affects your whole crop, your whole crop is a loss. And then that's going to affect my crop. And it's going to affect the neighbor's crop. And, like, you think you're going to get off the mountain alive? Once we find out that it was your crops that like called everybody, you know, caused everybody to fail. And Thailand has yet to learn those lessons. You know, um, there's all these little farms everywhere. And so like I'm super concerned for mom and pops, for small growers, for overly invested folks, giving it their all and then having major uh, failures in the future because it's like these folks they're very sensitive to that and I'm 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 a you know that was one of the things that I talked about with the national farmers president it's like you've got to let things out slowly here register growers and so that consumers know what they're getting you know so that we know that the producer has been trained and not necessarily certified but like has been through a course and they're not just going to give us a mat of clodibrid, you know, full uh, flowers, because that stuff's going to cause more problems than it helps. And, um, you know, he's, he was very concerned about that, too, and had a big issue with how uh, deregulation happened so quickly. It's like, all right, well, the wave is out. It's more like a tsunami than a surf wave. So good luck. You know, these tsunamis do more dev destruction than they do help. And so, 
you know, we'll see how things come out. I, one of the things I always wanted to um, associate with at the National Farmers Council is like, you know, they try to teach natural uh, and organic farming practices. Like this Prapat, he had uh, chicken coops. He was uh, doing a study with the cannabis leaves to boil the cannabis leaves in water and then feed the chickens that cannabis water. And they stopped giving the chickens um, antibiotics as a test. And they had a higher success rate than with the antibiotics. And obviously, anything we can do to reduce antibiotic dependence is going to be big. You know, we wouldn't have massive outbreaks and things like that if we took care of our immune health as a species a lot better. You know, it's like we're doing everything we can to breed superbugs by disseminating antibiotics in our animal feed for crying out loud. Like what a, what a joke that is, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I don't, I didn't get the vaccine, but you're sure eating vaccinated and antibiotic ridden meats, whether it's pork, chicken, beef in this country, like whatever, unless you grow it yourself, you don't know what the hell they put into that animal. And uh, I started at a pig farm, so I've got an idea. <laughs> you know? Like. Uh, Kind of a kind of a gnarly place when it comes to you know food standards. I, in my adult life, I've never had in the United States. I've never had food poisoning. I've had it five or six times since I've come to Thailand. You know, street food and uh, just unscrupulous unscrupulous vendors selling stuff that they shouldn't. Um, I can only imagine what the weed scene is going to be like. You know. Uh, in three months of legalization, I'm a little bit out of date on the number of shops, but three, uh, two months ago, there were 350 dispensaries already open in Thailand, not to mention the online shops or the online only shops of which who knows how many there are. You know, I actually so heard that there's over 300 dispensaries now in Bangkok alone. I believe so it, man. Opening up every week. Uh, this group I was in the, a lot of the bars and stuff in the other tours places like Phuket well they're just selling it behind the bar as well so you have the shop but the bars are selling it to with or without a license I'm not sure but it's becoming extremely easy to get yeah we bought joints with beers in Burry Rum yeah yeah in Pattaya there's uh, 10 different clubs owned by one group and you can, there's like a bong on every table and they've got weed menus and the, you know, these guys have, uh, he said three to $4 million of liquor inventory on hand at any time. I'm like, uh, you're going to be hard to compete against when it comes to like having cannabis inventory, you know, cause these guys already know how to manage and, and circulate a valuable, you know, product like that. And so they, boom, they had the cash to instantly open up 10 different spots. And, you know, there's no regulations on imbibing at the place that you uh, buy from as long as they have proper ventilation. So like these bars and clubs, if they're outside, you can sell them weed and, and joints and bongs and they can freaking take hits on the table as long as they're not in the street. But you step into the street with that joint and you can get a huge fine um, from any cop that finds you. Usually they won't harass you, but uh, there's a public nuisance 
law against smoking, even cigarettes. You can't smoke cigarettes in public out on the streets or whatnot. Same thing goes with cannabis, but it's not stopping them from opening up lounges everywhere, which is cool. You know, like how awesome can you just go to the bar, order a joint if you didn't bring any with you, you know, have a smoke and a, and a, and a drink. There's a, a bar that just opened up on Sukhumvit 11, which is a real happening uh, part of, of Bangkok. And he's got every kind of girl out there trying to sell joints and it's a thousand baht per person but you go in there and they'll give you four beers and a gram joint that the hot girl will roll for you right there at your table <laughs> so this country is like exploiting every angle uh, that they possibly can um so yeah interesting times ahead for cannabis tourism in thailand really uh, another group i was talking to they're trying to get um, a big festival started, you know, with headliners like Snoop Dogg and all of these other guys trying to bring some big names out here to like help publicize, uh, you know, their co-ops and stuff like that. So it's uh, we'll see what happens out here. It feels a lot like Denver post-legalization, you know, um, shops popping up everywhere and, um, every kind of genetic showing up the tie strains what's crazy is now on facebook and facebook live thai people are selling the brick weed you know like you, you can fire up the live channel and like they're going off about this red foil yellow foil and they'll have like a stack of of brick weed imported from laos or whatever come to find out these mofos are growing weed in Thailand and turning it into brick in their own country because that's how they cure cannabis out here. They'll brick it up, you know, they'll let it dry and then they'll smash it into a brick and they're like, yeah, that's that's how we cure. I'm like, you don't burp it in a jar <laughs> you know, or something like that. Like they're so proud of their compact weed. I'm like, uh, you know, as you pick the stems and the seeds out of it, it's so hard. it's like hard to feel enthusiastic. There you go. Oh, you can see the seeds and the chunkiness in it. Oh, yeah. you just get to the moldy center. That's where all oh. the good mold is, bro. That's where all the fungus yeah. is. You get the lung infection. That nice, that nice ethanol fermented smell from the center because it was packed way too wet. Hey, hey, yeah. M. I wanted to tell you, I can get free weed to smoke in Thailand because of the folks that I know. Like I can drive 10 minutes to the farm I started out and they're like, oh yeah, you don't have to pay. Just come and get it. That's my favorite strain, free. Free. <laughs> I, I no, can't. No, no, no. There's only so much life left here. in my lung. You know, it's just, uh, but it's like, I'll smoke free crappy weed just like I'll drink free crappy beer. I won't, you know. <laughs> like, uh, Natty lights. I'll I'll drink water. Thanks very much. I don't I don't need the cancer or the headache that crap will give me. And so it's like, you know, the quality is so low right now that I'm willing to pay for good stuff, right? And that's even at the farm that like I started at and tried to educate them. I'm not there because they weren't listening. Let me put it that way. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, yeah. The, this country's got a long ways to go, but it's got its own direction. 
to go. It's not going to look like California. It's not going to look like Washington or Colorado. It's got its own feel. And it's also going to try and change over time. You know, the, the authorities, those guys that handed me their business cards three years ago, are suddenly aren't making the same money that they were. <laughs> you know, they don't have the easy crime to pin on somebody. Like, shit, just before the law was passed, maybe six months ago, remember Ryan and Diao, they're, they're in uh, downtown Bangkok, and they're getting harassed by two local cops. Like, he had his little handbag just chock full of weed and, and samples and stuff, because that's what we've been doing out here. And uh, they, they asked for his bag and he hands them his fanny pack, you know, and he hands them the fanny pack instead and he hands the handbag full of weed to his Thai friend. And so they were just like dressing down the foreigner, you know, to like try and get the weed out of him. And he's like, oh man, that's good timing when I handed off that bag because they didn't search the bag where all the weed was. But had they found it, it would have been a 50,000 baht penalty on the spot you know like go to jail or pay fifty thousand baht like go to the nearest atm and make it happen and now those same guys can't do that shakedown anymore you know like what what happens when you put a, a tiger in a corner or worse stop feeding the tiger and let it loose you know like uh i don't like Needless to say, I'm a little bit nervous on how things are going to turn out here because very powerful groups don't want it to look the way that it's looking. And they've said this to my face. And I'm like, why the hell do you get to decide? You know? Well, hey, like I had just a look at the, the concert that was supposed to happen here by one of the most powerful people in the country. Um, him and his family, they're all deeply involved with cannabis, Panbury Rum. I think everyone in the country has heard about their group. And they were going to hold the biggest Panbury Rum since uh, the last one. And they had yeah. every big name in Thailand to come. Buddha Bless, Job to Do, Care About, everyone. And uh, over the talks of what's happening now, they've, uh, they've canceled the event. So... So, you know, like I say to people, it may be legal, but we're really not out of the gates yet. Um, there's still a lot of things to come, and especially with the upcoming laws that's going to happen. Um, like you said, I think the landscape of what it is now and what it'll look like even a year from now will be yeah. very, very different. Um, very exactly. different. Yeah, the guys with money want it to change. The guys with authority can't swing the same club that they were swinging before they can't penalize foreigners at 50,000 ahead you know so so that creates like a different kind of pressure for those guys to do I can only imagine what happens when you when you take somebody who's able to uh enforce the law that way and then change it for them like I don't know I like nobody's moved my cheese except the gut except uh you know the market and so it's like, I can follow the cheese if I'm paying attention. Whereas these cops, somebody moved their cheese with the flick of a pen and uh, they're gonna want that cheese back with the flick of a pen, right? Or, or, or worse, they'll turn into something else. They'll turn to another avenue uh, to get their money because they pay these cops nothing out here. That's why they do the shit that they do, 
you know, I assume, other than the fact that they can. That right now, that even the political party that pushed for this cannabis bill doesn't like the way it is now. Even they're like, whoa, wait a minute. We don't like the way this looks now. So we have both political parties saying this looks bad. So who's defending this situation right now? Nobody. So what's the chance that this situation is going to exist next year? Zero. Zero. Yeah. There's one person defending it, Prapak, the National Farmer Council president. He's like, I love this. This is perfect, you know, because this will allow the quality to come to the top. The organic growers, the, the farmers, here's a secret. Farmers should do the farming. Controversial, I know. I know. I think what's great about the current situation with the law is that um, it allows for regular Thai people to jump into the market and not not be you know restricted because I, we saw this in Jamaica when I went there where they kind of started off and, and had it open up a little bit and then allowed a bunch of the people and then when they released the laws they wanted them to be 1500 feet from a road that was you know 12 feet wide and all this other happy horse shit and half these guys are way up in the mountains right that's not possible they wanted to have a fence with barbed wire and cameras and it doesn't yes. make any sense for that 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 type of culture and that type of country, right? And I think that they need to consider, you know, how can they embrace this because it could be, one, you know, one of the best jobs programs for for any country, if if they do it right, it can really, you know, uplift a whole nation and and provide a huge influx of cash to a whole bunch of people that you know, especially didn't do so well under COVID, that really could use the extra money. Man, they were handing out. 500 baht a person at the temples here in the middle of COVID and people would sit in the parking lot lined up by the hundreds just to get five bucks, 10 bucks, right? To make it day to day. 100%, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, you know, that's the attitude that I've had the entire time here is I, I was part of this corporation that was growing a hundred rye or 40 acres and I hated it. Like I quit that job because they weren't, they weren't adding anything of value. They were creating value out of fantasy, you know. And the National Farmers uh, president, and I have nothing but respect for that guy. He's actually um, famous in this country because when he was a student in the 60s, he was uh, a communist leader, right? And there was like they were killing each other in the north and the south up here. And uh, Soldier, there was a protest at one of the universities and they brought in soldiers to move all of the students out. And they've got, they're pointing weapons at the students and uh, Prapat is standing out there with a big stick, like, come on, kill us if you're gonna kill us, you know? And they shot this poor bastard right in the leg and they ended his protest like that. But he became like a, a national hero and got renamed by the king for his involvement in standing up for the people. And they and his name means defender of the country through faith. That's what his name translates to. And uh, you know And he's a legend and he cooks some of the best lunches. If you ever get a chance to get invited to every day he has a big lunch where you can meet like heads of corporation, political figures, and so down the earth. He'll serve you. He's so humble and modest, one of the best best men i've met in the country so yeah you're right about he's an amazing 
Yeah, he's for the small farmer. You know, he teaches natural farming. He he teaches them how to brew microbes and compost teas and and uh, use beneficials to you know fight pests and things like that. And he's against the because he's always like he's even helping the bamboo farmers. Everybody, you know, like from top to bottom, <clears throat> his point of view is the country runs via the farmers. No farmers. You got everything that's fancy in Bangkok wouldn't exist if we couldn't farm rice throughout the rest of the country. You know, he uses, is the first time I've ever seen it, and it's still the only time I've seen it in Thailand. He uses uh, water buffalo to eat all of the leftover rice in the field after the harvest. Everybody else out in this country, in the Laos and, Thai and Vietnam and the rest, when they uh, fire up their, uh, when they harvest, they'll burn the fields to prepare for the next planting. And instead of, you know, so it creates horrendous air con uh, quality con conditions out here. <clears throat> you can almost hear it in my lungs, actually. I've been, um, felt like I've had a flu for the last two weeks and I wake up with a headache because of all of the burning in the fields that happens out here. And he's teaching people to use the ancient techniques. Uh, king Rama V, a king from, I think it was the 30s and 40s in Thailand, um, propagated the belief that uh, you know, everybody should be independent. And so he asked all of the rural communities, every man, every family should have a pond, every family should have a few water buffalo, chicken house, uh, pigs, et cetera, to, so that they didn't have to use money. He was against cash. He was against currency, uh, you know, nearly a hundred years ago. And up here in the north of Thailand, in the 60s and 70s, part of the fighting was over currency because the, these folks were trading eggs and rice and labor still to survive. They weren't using the coins printed in, uh, minted in Bangkok, you know? And so there was like this whole, uh, like this whole entity, this whole way of life that was trying to be preserved. You know, that's what these folks were fighting for. Um, Thailand's a very interesting country because of how divided it is. You know, in the South, they have a version of Thai that sounds very different than the version of Thai that they speak in Bangkok. I live in the north and they have northern Thai. And where M lives, there's another version of Thai called Isan, which is closer to Laos, closer to the Laotian language. And um, man, it's not just one country, it's four or five that's been joined together under this banner of Thailand. And uh, this part of the country was called Lana. And and I, I can speak a little bit of Thai. I can understand it okay. But I tell you, when I hear a northerner speak, even though I lived up here, I can't understand a word they say. You know, they just have like their own version of Thai. So I didn't realize, um, you know, how diverse this small country really is already. And, um, and with that diversification, though, means that these groups are... Uh, you know, they vie for power for political representation. And so like the stuff that happens in Buriram can reflect poorly on the farmers in the north, but that's only because it's like five smallish groups all competing for the 
the the tax money generated in Bangkok, you know, and like the the authority that comes from the centralized government there. And oh, it's just it's just very it makes politics here super interesting and very unpredictable because the head of the party that was founded in Buriram conflicts with the prime minister. But the prime minister's party is the one that's calling all of the shots. And so there's this, these massive defections happening right now from the prime minister's party to Bumjai Thai, the, the party that was pushing forth the weed, because all of the representatives that you know are elected, these MPs, they're like, oh crap, all of my constituents want to grow cannabis pretty much without regulation. And the PM is saying like, not, not, we got to go, you know, full bureaucracy on this one. And the MPs are like, but what if we didn't, you know, what if, what if we did uh, fulfill the promise that our political party made? Like, let's make this a, a you know, an economic crop. Like let's, let's ramp up tourism, tourism. There was supposed to be 40 million tourists coming to Thailand and, in 2020. COVID happened, and of course, that, that didn't happen. Um, Thailand can benefit, I think, more so from concentrating on cannabis tourism right now and for the next 20 years, because China is never going to allow it. Japan, whew, you still can't have any weed in Japan. You can't have CBD made from flour. In Japan, the only CBD that is legal in that country of 150 million people is CBD made from the stems and leaves of hemp. It's banned to make CBD from the flower in that country. So if you have CBD in Japan, it's been certified, probably falsely, that it was made from only leaf, right? And so there's just a whole crap load of stupid laws and in, this, and in this part of the hemisphere, there's 4 billion people with no access to cannabis whatsoever, except for Thailand. Like, they should be, you know, shouting it from the rooftops, and it should be on every headline. And it should be like, yeah, from Pattaya to Phuket, from Krabi to Isan, you can grow weed, you can smoke weed, come here and enjoy it. And that would lift up everybody, not just the 20 companies that have extraction facilities for god-awful CBD isolate, you know. Um, the, the tourism industry here is, it was kind of weird at first. I felt a little bit uh, fleeced as a, as a tourist, as a foreigner in this country when you go to spots and it's like, you know, you go to a national park and it's 200 baht for a foreigner, but it's 30 baht for a local to go into the same park, you know? <clears throat> but this country doesn't have the benefit of, of the dollar, you know? Uh, the, the United States has, if you look it up, there's over 1,000 military theaters outside of the United States. So like if you belong to the Air Force, Marines, Army or whatever, you can have a, over 1,000 designations outside of the US. Show me a, a Thai military base outside of Thailand. Show me a, a Japanese military base in the middle of America. Doesn't happen, doesn't exist. And so like these folks don't have the, the power of the dollar 
And so they do things like charge foreigners extra because my gosh, we've all seen what inflation has done to the US and to the Canadian dollar <clears throat> and the value of it and housing prices. Well, think of the inflation that these poor Thai people are going through. The, the day laborers still make 450 to 300 baht per day, but gasoline is four times the price it was when it, you know, during COVID. Food prices are through the roof for these folks. And so like they need some kind of economic relief, something to give them hope, you know, a little tourism, a little cannabis production. And then uh, as you mentioned, uh, all of the jobs and infrastructure that go with supporting, um, you know, a, a very active industry. All the extra nightclub sales and street vendor sales for food and all the people that, you know, pay to clean those places up at the end of the day, the electricians that keep the fridges going, like it really creates a lot of additional jobs that people often don't consider is because, and then with the cannabis side of things, all of these have to be done in like, you know, the, the packaging that's, you know, um, well, I guess I don't know they don't have food safety or child safety laws yet, but in most other countries, you know, the child safety stuff. So there's all industry around the, the marketing and labeling and, and proper packaging and that's a whole chain of jobs. So you have all these different people that play in the chain, people that deliver the clean uniforms like we, we wear every day out here and all those other components to it that, you know, people don't really factor in when they're talking about the jobs, but cannabis creates, you know, four or five times as many jobs outside of the people that actually touch the cannabis. And I think a lot of people underestimate that. So it really does create a lot of wealth in the community a lot more than people realize. Especially no, I, I, in Thailand, with the, like the soil testing and a lot of the microbe testing, even the cannabis testing is done through hospitals and the universities. So they're charging for that. And that becomes an income for, you know, hospitals and, and schools, which are always looking for different income streams. So it's a, uh, yeah, flex is in all parts of the country once you let that out of the bag. Even just look at rice, something that we all eat that's pretty simple. Uh, it controls every aspect of the country. So add something alongside of that. Uh, it'd be amazing to see cannabis at that same level as rice here. Yeah, it, Thailand uh, competes, or until recently, would compete with India to be the world's number one rice exporter. Thailand has 170 million people. How many billions live in India? You know, so there's like, uh, Thailand's a very good place they already understand uh market economies really well and I, like there isn't a group that i've talked to that hasn't talked about exporting cannabis you know and i see that less likely than um the importing of tourists to enjoy cannabis uh in thailand you know because like say you can export to germany and and france and the united states they're still strict as hell over there when it comes to consumption. You know, you can't smoke a joint or a cigarette in your car in California without fear of getting busted. You can't uh, have, you can't smoke cannabis at festivals in California anymore, right? They've got like little tiny area where you can smoke it. And you got to have a card and identification to get in there. And, <clears throat> you know, even, even the spot where it all got started, it's kind of boring in comparison to the way uh, it's been handled in, in Thailand. Like I was out a few, couple months ago when it, it first got legal and I was just blown away. Someone hands me a bong. I've already got like a drink and you can sit out there 
smoked to your heart's content. And, uh, you know, they weren't bringing great weed. But I tell you what, it was the most comfortable I've ever been in a bar in my entire life. Because everybody, most people were smoking weed too. And there's a difference between folks that just get drunk on alcohol and those that like smoke weed and drink, right? Like the aggressiveness that you get while you're just drunk without any cannabis doesn't, uh, it's way less attractive, I'll tell you what. And so like um, in that smoking bar, I was like, man, I'm gonna have to come here a lot more often. Then they shut it down, of course, um, for you know, other business reasons and stuff like that. But like, it just made me realize like, damn, I felt like during COVID, I didn't wanna go out. Right, because you'd get, you know, you run the gamut of uh, political interactions um, according to uh, you know people's beliefs. But everybody likes to have a damn good time, you know. And uh, I know I really see. I hope the law doesn't change too much. Like the group that I left, Eastern Spectrum Group, they're one of the twenty, but you know, twenty. They're one of the twenty most butt hurt about the current law, right? Because they had spent. 3 million on an extraction facility and $5 million on a farm to grow CBD. And I'm like, should you guys focus a little bit on THC? Because ain't nobody going to buy your CBD once it's legal. And they're like, oh, it's not going to be like that for long. I'm like, I don't think you can put a cat back in the bag, no matter how hard you try. You know, like, uh, you know how much money is going into cannabis investment, like THC right now? Like, M. Could you find an LED light before June 9th? Oh, before June 9th? Man, I had the shop, remember? And yeah. I would have stacks of lights and like some of those lights. And then actually just recently, we were redoing some of the rooms here, trying to buy lights and do another room. And I was amazed on Shopee at how many had the waiting list. Pre-order ships in 30 days. And I was like, what's happened here? Um, uh, fabric pots is another one. Yeah. Look, a large number of five gallon pots here now, and you're on a waiting list. Um, I even seen some shops that would, you know, agricultural shops run out of peat moss, run out of perlite, you know, um, it's been amazing. I was on a FCP just yesterday, walking around my neighborhood, showing probably one in every four houses is growing weed at some extent, whether it's one plant or a bunch of plants with lights or yeah, but man. everyone wants to take part. Hell, they were selling them on the sidewalk outside of Starbucks. A guy yeah, with weed plants and it's uh, it's not just true. a smoking culture that's been opened at June 9th, but also a growing culture, um, which yeah. I didn't see in Canada when it became legal. You know, yeah. a lot more you know, dispensaries and things opened, but I didn't see flags from plant shops selling uh, selling cannabis plants and seeds. You know what I mean? Speaking of flags, you can't go five meters without seeing a cannabis sign all of a sudden. You know, yeah, coffee shops are putting it on there. Um, there you go, Exactamundo. Yeah, we've got a coffee shop at the front of our property uh, that the land uh, owner runs with their family. And I just bought 200 red pots that I'm going to fill with autoflowers. 
and I'm going to put it all over their entire coffee shop, a little tiny price tag, you know, it's like, there you go. Take that plant home and flower it out. Just keep watering it, baby. And, uh, you know, it's just such a different environment when the government gets out of the way. Um, it's just beautiful what's happening over here. You know, like you said, waiting lists for pots, lights. Uh, I've been trying to buy soil from Best Garden State for like three weeks now. <laughs> and if you're oh, not best buying- Best Garden State, you know, they got some of the best products in the country. Best. But fuck me, pardon my language. Ordering from them is like pulling nails. I, me I remember I've tried to make orders several times and ended up with no product just because the ordering is so difficult. Yeah, ordering's been difficult. I think it's just because when you have guys like us asking for five and 10 and his orders are like 300 and 500, you know, it's like, oh, we'll take everything you got. Oh, that means I have to save some for the little guys too. That's a, he's been put into a position through his success. You know, it's difficult. Like I actually, I ordered some soil out of Chiang Mai that still smells like compost, like, like food compost, you know, food waste that's composting. It's got that like sour stink to it. I'm like, Ugh. I'll start watering this and maybe it'll be ready in three, four weeks. I don't know. You know, I'm going to spray it with compost tea and hope it gets to where it needs to be. Because um, I pulled it out of the bag. I'm like, oh, it's supposed to smell good, man. What are you doing to me? You know, and I, it's like, uh, uh, that's why soil has been going for 90 baht a kilo. Potting soil, you know. Hey, like, look at uh, some of the cannabis-specific soil, like tea rags. Yeah, exactly. Tea. I haven't even seen T-Rex, right? About $40 for a, a five-gallon bag. 20 liters, 900 baht, plus shipping. Yeah. Plus shipping, you know? exactly. I've been seeing it like twice that price for half as much. Even. What? You know? uh, I priced it out according to, you remember Subcool's super soil recipe? Uh, 50 pounds of rock dust. 50 pounds of bone meal, 50 pounds of alfalfa meal, real like basic, real basic stuff. I priced that out. It was like, uh, if you mix it your damn self, 10 baht or 10,000 baht a cubic meter, you know, still expensive. That's like if you're making it yourself because all of the, the components are suddenly so expensive. I was buying stuff by the yard in the US for 115 bucks, you know? So it's like, things are really pricey here right now. And- Times uh, are changing. Welcome to the- Welcome to 22. No, like I said, it, we're, that, we're all starting to sound old now. When I was young- Where is a young man? <laughs> 10 by yeah. the yard. Yeah. Look at that. You guys are mixing up. That's a good little machine there. I yeah, we need one. a bigger one, but it'll work for now. Yeah. <laughs> it just takes longer. <laughs> it's sure. I, I pulled a muscle. I like I, I tore my bicep flipping soil, so I can appreciate a machine. I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah. Done too much soil mixing. Not enough recently, though. Shit, I'm out of shape after two years of COVID. COVID and CBD. Two words we that also, everyone want to hear again. 
In Oklahoma, we did really big um, grain mixers and we converted them into soil mixers. It was pretty dope. Nice. But yeah, yeah it's pretty quick. Just like that they little guy. One every 30 seconds or so. Wow. There you go. Yeah, that stuff looks nice and fluffy. Does it smell yeah. like cat shit? <laughs> no. Good. No. no, everyone keeps asking me for the recipe. So we're, we're, we're using um, rice, biochar rice husks because they're uh, really good in place of like perlite or something else, that aeration, add some silica to it and some more surface area. And we have a lot of noise. We have castings, some bat guano, um, yeah, dolomite, um, trying to think what else, uh, kelp, uh, a little bit of uh, powdered kelp, dried kelp, and uh, azomite, yeah, a little bit of azomite, just give some trace minerals. I'm sure I'm getting something, but that's most of it. Oh, and peat moss. So we have a peat moss base mix that has some just calcium and some other stuff in it just to kind of give us a little bit better calcium base on top of the dolomite. The dolomite plus the IMO works really well for, for just getting that calcium to the plants right away. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's beautiful. It's good looking soil, man. I, I, I could definitely use a soil mixer right now. I've got uh, 80, 40 kilogram bags of it to like get into pots here. Luckily they mix it all up, but I still got to inoculate it with the microbes and everything like that. I'm like, maybe I'll just fill the pots and water them in. <laughs> you know? Don't want to tear any more biceps. This is our oh, really Beauty. Yep. Do you guys have any uh, monitoring in your greenhouse? That was yeah, something so we I learned a, hard We have a weather station in the middle of the greenhouse. And then, in fact, we we're just finishing getting them all set up. But each one has its own little weather station in the middle. So it'll all have an individual readout for humidity and airflow and temperature and everything for each greenhouse. Uh, Where are you guys located? We're in Petchaboon. Petchaboon. Okay. So north of Bangkok there, right? Yep. About five hours north. We're, um, we're south of Petchaboon City, but we're nice. in Petchaboon. Yeah. Um, it's nice. We have a... Go ahead. I was just wondering about the temps in the greenhouse because that's been an issue out here. Oh, sure. So actually, I can show you. Uh, let me find. We have some better. Well, you can kind of see in this picture. So um, we have this here. So we have the fans that run here in the back. They're temporarily off because we were messing with some of the electrical on the, the controller on that yesterday. But um, you can see here, uh, this is all just screen, like really fine type screen. So this breathes. Right. Uh, and then we have uh, shade cloths. So we're running uh, 35 or 40. So it, it's 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 warm in there, but you know, with short sleeves, it's not unbearable as long as you're you're drinking your fluids. It's not too bad to work in there yeah. in the middle of the day. Do you have a ridge vent running the length of the greenhouse? That oh yeah, yeah. So they have um oh what did I do here? I'll show you. We have um umbrella tops on them. So they breathe gotcha. really well. I have a picture video here somewhere. Just one second. Give me um, one second, you guys, myself. Sorry. Batman. How's it going there, Infamous? How's your morning?
I tell you, my Gratam guy didn't have anyone to deliver my bottles today. And I'm on the podcast, obviously. So I haven't had my Gratam and I just can't wake up. I just feel like my battery is on like 0%, 1% flashing. I drank a whole bunch of coffees, but still can't wake up. So, and the MK Ultra isn't, isn't helping. Smoking this, this stuff is keeping me pretty sleepy. So. I wasn't ready for this, but I'm really enjoying listening to Dave go off. It's uh, I've never seen Dave just go, go, go. So it was interesting to hear him talk. I got a lot of respect for Dave. Yeah, he taught me uh, a lot about Jadam, got me more into the KNF uh, Jadam style of organics when I was working with him on that farm, the Lompang farm. So that's when I really started getting into compost teas and that was through him. So he taught me lots and uh, kind of got me going down that road of organics and uh, helped me formulate some of my own recipes that I use today. So I got a lot of respect for Dave and yeah. Oh, thanks man. I appreciate it. I've got respect for your entrepreneurial spirit, making shit happen out here. You know uh, the night I met Mitch, we were, at that Burry Rum Festival, and my friend Ryan and I had brought a pound of weed to roll into joints for the festival and just to hand them out. And uh, I invited him back to come help us roll because there's going to be a lot of rolling to do. And he had a, a local, he had a friend that was a foreigner as well, but he was so afraid to be even near the cannabis. He's like, you don't know what it's been like out here. Um, you know, he was still nervous about like just being associated with the cannabis scene. Um, didn't even want to come and roll joints and smoke up and stuff like that. And I was like, dang, Em, I'm glad you had the cojones to come through because not everybody did. You know, <laughs> at that festival, I think I saw five foreigners the whole time. You know, me, Ryan, you were one of them, your buddy, and then some black guy. <laughs> that was it. It was just so few of us. Um, because it's been it's been a trepidatious industry out here and uh, Thai people, you know, the, the company that I work for, Eastern Spectrum Group, they were slow to get into the THC game because of the stigma associated with it. So in the upper echelons of society, it's still a very, not a taboo subject, right? But they're like, oh, yeah, I grow it, but I've never smoked it, you know, like. I'm not a moron, right? I, I, that's kind of how they view it. They're like, why would I do that to my brain? And it's like, you know, I understand organics because I smoke cannabis. I understand the physiology of plants and microbes because I smoke cannabis. Um, obviously, I'm up to date on all of the politics and laws regarding cannabis. Like, I've never been so professional while not being professional. Right. Like, like uh, I do not ever want to put my name on another piece of paper that goes to a government office in my life. But you have to as part of as part of being a business owner and running an operation. I would rather just have customers come and see the results of organic flowers and careful cultivation and, and genetic selections, you know, without uh, GMO or. GMP or any other damn acronym, you know, um, but it's, 
know, it's just such interesting times out here. I hope, I hope all of the plans and projects, I know that they're going to uh, succeed and continue um, because two years ago, uh, speaking of Kitty, did, were you at that uh, elevated estate show? Do you remember that in Bangkok? So uh, no, cannabis. Did, uh, if you remember what the original price was of the tickets, and uh, ten thousand bucks or something like that. No, it was thirty-five thousand baht, almost thousand dollars U.S. And uh, Ryan was going to try to get me some tickets, and then it wasn't until like the very last minute he was like, "Yeah, come down." I'm like. It started two hours ago, and I'm still in Buriram. Five so, hours uh, away, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me just hop in the, the jet. I'll fly right over. Um, yeah. Well, two years ago at that festival, at that conference, uh, you know, this influencer, this Thai influencer brought all of these speakers from outside of the country to come talk about how cannabis is working in their country. And, and this whole time, you know, they're just, she's just like, the law, the law, the law, the law, the law. And I'm like, I mean, the racist law that Thailand for some reason is enforcing, like why, why give it any credence? Why give it any authority, this law that prohibits people from doing what they want, not hurting anybody, you know? So I felt kind of betrayed by her like loyalty to the law. Guess what that lady did on June 9th? She was the first cannabis shop to open up. Yeah. And I was like, huh, that's so cute that that's the direction that you went, knowing full well that is not what the intent of the law was. It wasn't written that way, right? They were supposed to have um, new regulations right after that, but they failed. And so it's just kind of like, you know, if we ignore the bureaucracy, we ignore the elements that look to control things, you can really see a straightforward path to success in this business. You know, like I couldn't, uh, I had to quit the companies that I was working for because they had, I mean, God bless them for trying to work within the confines of the law, but the way this law was implemented was like a, a misdirection. You know, for anybody that followed the law, you lost. For those that saw through the garbage and prepared regardless of what the intent of the law was, you're, you, you opened up the first shops and groves, you know. Well, don't forget about the whole thing with the, the seed fiasco. Oh, when, when you got the license, they would come and give you the seeds you had to grow. You had no choice of your own genetics prior to June 9th or anything. You couldn't grow any fire. They would bring you. They got the genetics they gave you. Yeah, from the Confiscations. Yeah, yeah. Confiscations of seed, illegal seed shipments. And so So. um, you'd be getting seeds, and they had weird, awkward rules, no cloning. Like Dave said, you couldn't get rid of your males. Like, it was bizarre. And farms would invest so much and just get crap genetics. And you can't outgrow the genetic ceiling of garbage you know what i mean and uh uh, production plan put together with a mother room clone room nursery and they're like uh why do you have all of that we can't make clones i'm like well that's the dumbest fucking thing i've ever heard sorry for the language because if you don't 
if you are in an industry and you can't do all of the things that it takes to be successful in the industry, well, guess what? You're not going to be successful. You know? And that's why it's like, oh, we can't have clones. What could you get on June 9th by the bazillions? You know, it's like every company that I worked with, they only wanted to, they only wanted success their way and only they could be successful, right? Uh, they didn't, they wanted other, everybody else to fail. And I'm part of the group. I'm part of the, you know, the 99%. I don't have 1% or parents. Um, you know, I'm all for education and for sharing of knowledge and for everybody participating. All votes count, you know, uh, whether you're rich or poor, uh, we can all do this. There's no special sauce. Remember the best food you've ever eaten it's probably made out of all of the same ingredients, except for one special one that's often missing. And that's love, you know, like if you don't put love into your project and it's only about money, I hope you fail. I hope those 20, you know, $2 billion companies uh, can't even recover from the crap that they tried to do because it was without any love for the plant. It was without any regard for the consumer, but only for the bottom line, you know? And those are the guys that are so butthurt that they're gonna try and sour the milk for the rest of us, you know, for the, the 20 million people that wanna grow weed on their porch or balcony or backyard. Um, those four, those 20 companies, those 10 rich families are gonna try and sour it for the rest of us. And it's like uh, a little word for the wise, don't let guys with guns make the rules for you. You know, that's, that's how I feel about the subject. I can't wait to grow so much, not so much weed, but such good weed that they're like, oh shit, can't shut that guy down. That's um, where we're gonna get the fire, you know? Like I've been smoking indoor, outdoor, uh, organic, inorganic. Right now, I'm just grateful to get anything. But I tell you what, I have been missing. Like uh, I busted out a jar of trim that I had saved from a pound of weed I had brought over here years ago. And that jar of trim that I'd kept in a cabinet sealed smelled better with few exceptions than most of the weed I've seen out here in Thailand. You know, um, quality has yet to like, peak over here that's for sure um i'm really excited to see your shop man uh potent ponics i can't wait to take a tour of your facility and get an idea of, of the good ganja that you're going to be growing i've got incredible genetics out here we'll have to um you know cooperate and oh, yeah. uh, do, do a lot more cool stuff together out here because there's so much market right now you know between the north, the south, like we're not going to be able to grow enough weed for a while. And I feel like there's this one, there's this one thing that's just like stuck in my craw, so to speak, or this little chip on my shoulder is this, these guys trying to bring these gigantic indoor facilities to Thailand. So there's these Canadian and U.S. corporations trying to install 120,000 square foot grow facilities. And uh, this one guy posted on LinkedIn and I, I just, 
you know, I see this stuff and I let it go. I wouldn't comment on his page, but he, he has the balls to say, we're installing this 120 square foot facility, 120,000 square foot facility, and we're going to teach the local farmers at the same time. Teach them what? How to ruin the water? How to destroy the market? How to produce too much for too little and devalue the entire crop for everybody else? Like, are people this fucking stupid about the industry? You know, are they so immune to the lessons that have been taught to us by Los Angeles and California and Vancouver? You know, these big operations fail time after time. It's the collectives that stay alive and that work together. You know, like uh, someone was mentioning the other day and M brought this up because I didn't have this knowledge. They were shitting on cookies. They're like, ah, screw cookies. Well, when you go and buy weed at cookies, you're getting weed from 40 or 50 growers in one shop. It's not all produced in one giant warehouse, downtown, wherever, you know, lots of people contribute to that. And, um, you know, you, you, when you go to a grocery store, you don't buy, uh, you, you know, I, I've, I don't shop at Walmart, but God forbid you go in there and you only buy the good value brand. Like, you're not after quality, you're after price, right? And um, that person has a different conversation than those that are after quality. And, uh, you know, so I brought up that jar of weed that I'm talking about, they smoked the last of it just to have some kind of taste out of California. Um, because of the strains and the processes and the curing that goes into making a certain quality happen. You know, that's one thing I'm really looking forward to see uh, in Thailand is high quality outdoor organic weed because right now everybody's drying their stuff in the in their greenhouses just exposed to the sun like nobody puts it in you know climate controlled rooms like when when you harvest your weed in California in October and November it's already getting chilly at night like there wasn't a day in California that I went without a hoodie right? Like you just, it's just kind of chilly up north. And Thailand, I've never worn a hoodie. <laughs> you know, the environment here is completely different. And um, so all of this weed that they chop and harvest, it dries so fast. It's like smoking stinging nettle, you know, uh, there's no, the terps are gone. Um, it's brown. It's, it's crispy. And eight times out of 10, it's full of seeds. So like, I can't wait to see what we can do out here. And I feel like there's plenty of, of market cap because of that, because the quality is so hit or miss. You've either got indoor, industrial, or you've got like seeded outdoor. And along those lines, like uh, Oregon CBD, develop those triploid genetics, you know, seedless seeds. And I've been fantasizing about that for THC seeds out here because I've spent, you know, a, a few thousand dollars in buying seeds, but so has every single one of my neighbors. And undoubtedly, they don't have the same experience hunting males that I do. And so, you know, I'm at the whims of the wind and my neighbor's genetics 
to hopefully like escape some seeding happening out here. Um, you know, 20 minutes away is a big four acre farm and uh, that's plenty of distance to carry some pollen this way, you know. And, and so you like, know for sure if they're buying seeds for 500 baht, they're keeping them males for the, have those leaves for the soups to fry up. There is zero chance they are chopping that down. Exactly, exactly. And no concern for the neighbor's crop or whatnot. It's just, yeah, what they can do with their stuff. And, you know, and then they fall into those same traps, like legal spots can't harvest without an FDA agent there. You have to schedule the day that you harvest because he takes a sample and, you know, gets it tested and yada, yada, you know. So there's like, the, there are regulations in the way of success here and, so, and always have been. So that's like the game that we have to play is like, all right, you got to stay under the radar while, um, you know, selling crap, enough stuff so that you can keep developing um, you know, because it's going to cost a lot of money to develop um, uh, seedless genetics, you know, or to keep your stuff from getting seeded out. Uh, a big concern of mine. And speaking of seeds, <laughs> there's the man. What's up, y'all? How's it going? I, I, I just got the, I just got white or uh, data so i just got a message that day's on i'm like oh shit dude i'm not home right now so how you doing doing good man doing good just rapping about the game out here um where are you at oh there's beautiful plants oi yeah you can't come Being over about your mail <laughs> speaking right. about your neighbors having males Here's a uh, yeah, well, infamous neighbor. There is uh, right. What what is this going to do to the guy's land race next door? <laughs> Same on Canada seeds. That's just how it is, though. But that check is. it out, man. Hey, you know I don't want to try and jack too much time here, but I just came to check up on these, the hair count, because I didn't want him to cut anything early. Wow, chunky, chunky. This is freak show, uh, land race. Yeah, you mentioned you had a drive to go check out this other garden, so that's awesome. He told me the rain, the rain, the rain came in uh, the last. It did the same thing to his leaves, but it didn't harm it too much. That's all right. God, this stuff smells amazing, and it's actually dense. <laughs> I know, I know, right? I should just start getting rid of all these. I should tell him just to go ahead and get rid of them. The so it's crazy, man. The phenos. I'm really stoked on these. Uh, and this is Siamoji. This has got another probably seven weeks, it looks like. And then this thing here is Siamoji uh, times the uh, the uh, the raspberry skunk. So it's just perped out. It's crazy. Dude. This came out of a, this came out of a Thai plant. It's got some sort of weird leaf thing too. I don't know. But I I don't know. First time F ones, you never know. All right, y'all. <clears throat> Don't want anybody cutting anything early. No kidding. Too late. <laughs> oh. Half-finished wheat is never good and seems to be the trend over here. You know, a lot of these farmers get so excited 
as soon as they see any type of flower development. Oh yeah. I got lots of pictures on my uh, social media. Like, is this ready to go? Oh, what's this? I'm like, that's a pregnant female. What should I do with it? Chop everything in your garden down and start over. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, man, if I could give people seedless model flowers in Thailand, you'd have a winner, you know, for the 20 million people who don't know about how to keep their stuff from getting seeded and don't know about light and, and you know, light contamination. Uh, I've gotten so many pictures of hermed out plants. You're like, why is my plant hermed out? Uh, well, it's because your neighbor's porch light is always on and um, that side of the plant's going to get messed up. Oh, hey, man, a lot of genetics that come here, they come here from Northern America, wherever, dude, they're not used to this climate, will make them harm out just the climate without light, anything tweaking. Just the, yeah. the pure heat and, and, the, and the climate change to them will make them like, what the hell is this? If you try There's outdoor like that. You know? change of environmental stresses on the plant constantly, just under that stress of light, humidity, pests, just wigs it out right from the start. Yeah, pest is another one. That'll tweak a plant. How are That's the mites being so bothered? Because you've got that epigenetics, and you can't, you know, the only way you get that is by breeding it here. And uh, I think that's the way you overcome that is by generations of breeding it in the country. And then obviously it adapts. Oh my God, dude. I'm just fucking the smells come off this hall muck, right? Oh my Damn, sucker. Number one. <laughs> this, is, this is my homeboy, Min. He's the one running. He's running my our gear so we get to test stuff. Stoked. You come to Thailand now. All right, let's take some bong hits. He's got the epic bamboo bong. Yeah, I love his bong. One of those ones that looks like a fact, factory-made bong, not like a homemade job. Look at this thing. This is, where'd you get this bong, bro? You get this offline? Oh, wow. There you go. Dude, and it's a fatty bong. It's like, uh, this thing's like bigger than your average and it's really nice the woodwork is like i mean it's just really nice and it's through the action is you know you got a lot of big fat thing you get a lot of smoke well you guys are making me jealous i got my uh, picture in the other room <laughs> red free cup race free red free fc bit wow look at that Freak show land race. And it's not, I mean, it's like, it's like this foxtail chunk rock, rock hard foxtails that make a bud. It's crazy. What yeah, a crazy, what a weird bud. Down if you really didn't give a shit and get a nice hard ball of it, if you shave down those foxtails. Yeah, man, that is crazy, dude. Do you see the structure? 
Man, I got too many goddamn kids here. I'm hell no, I ain't getting on no plane coming over there. <laughs> oh, it's so fun traveling with the a whole with a gang load of kids, bro. It's hella fun. Yeah, really, I got four boys. You put your wife in the back, your wife in the <laughs> little sidecar. Nice, no, 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 nice. no, 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 sidecar. Just all between the two of you. That'd be dope. <laughs> shit, send me a zip of that, bro. Oh man, dude, the snow's there. coming off this shit. Yeah, I, I love F1 shit, dude. You just never know you're going to get, dude. It's like whatever, the biggest box of chocolates. Dude, that smells different, too, dude. Yeah, you better oh, uh, get a jar of that, that for me, bro. I know, right? Well, I'm I'm trying to talk him into, like, uh, I mean, I told him I got the soil. I got your back on the soil and shit. So I'm trying to have him set up, like, this whole area is gone, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's all being fenced. No cows coming in. No water buffalo. Well, the buffalo actually is smart. They don't fuck with your shit. The cows are bad. But, dude, this is epic. So, I'm like, the only thing is, is we have to do pallets. We have to pallet everything uh, because it gets saturated. Yeah, hey, no, yeah. You could even you could even do bamboo. Just get the big fat bamboo. Yeah. Lay it down yeah. on rails. Because you know he had a I mean? plan. He had, yeah, he had two land rakes that were in the ground over here, and the that last real rain, hard rain before it stopped, dude, it drowned them. Dude, were, it's sad because one of them had a totally unique shit that I haven't seen. And I was like, are these land, are these like tie pure? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, what's up with this leaf structure? This right here is tiger tail tie. Okay. He got this from his buddy. And uh, it's really, I like the structure for, I mean, it looks, I don't know, tiger tail tie. I, I'm not familiar with it. But I dig the structure. This is this is cool. The well, I've got the white tiger times Wilson, so that's got must have some of that tiger tail influencer. I just yeah. smoked some tiger tail out here. Really? Uh huh. Wow, it smells. It just smells different. It's, there's no mango at all. There's not no mango smell. It's uh, yeah. It's fucking weird, bro. I, excuse my language. It's, yeah. It didn't have the oh, mango at all. No, it's no mango. I don't know. I can't explain the smell. Actually, it's just it just smells different. So, yeah, that's why I brought him some. Uh, I brought him some uh, the rock wool here. I brought him some rock wool. I was like, dude, you got to start cutting off the stuff that I don't have. Like these down here at the bottom, even though the tops. But now, hit these right here. He could take these right here. This one here. This one here. Because they're not budded out or nothing. Now I'll just re-veg them. Those would not have I been alive. Want, I just want cut them. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been cut already. Yeah, the bottom yeah. of them. It's funny. The top's all nugging out, and the bottom hasn't caught up yet. So I just, I just, I just want those so I can, just in case it's special. Yeah, absolutely worth having, man. And this right here it looks like freak show, right? Doesn't this look like freak show to you? Yeah. That's not freak. Yeah, show. That's freak. That's yeah. freakazoid. That's freakazoid. Uh, 
F1 V2. So this is juice box. Hey, this is Freakazoid time. This is Freakazoid times Freak Show. So I took a crazy ass leaf pattern. I found out Freakazoid, which was just cut the shit. And then I put it back to pure freak show. And uh, most of the seeds come out looking like that. And if they don't, they come out looking like uh, like that berry freak. I don't, that's why I, I, I finally, I'm not trying to copy other people, but you, I get uh, uh, whatever. I get the fire bill in my ass when I see that guy's stuff, that dude on uh, Instagram with that berry freak F2. I saw that and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to copy it, but I got an idea of what I'm looking for now. I like that. Um, really cool looking leaf, but I think more beautiful than Freak Show. To tell you the truth, it's like feathers instead of uh, a fern. It's, it's like that's kind of like a fern, and these are more like yeah. feathers. And the buds are all that's pink cool. and purple, and and it, and it's like you know it tests test in at decent numbers and stuff. So for a mutant that looks epic, and you can twist it up and have it taste like really good and get you ripped. That's what I'm wanting to do. I like the mutants, man. I'm into that shit. I don't know why. It's just new, I guess. Oh. I haven't even tried Freak Show yet. That's what the bud tastes like. Very floral. A lot of awesome and other lighter terps in it. Beautiful. Yeah, the leaf structure is just crazy. And Chris has been making some crazy ones. Uh, with this crop like I've never seen so much leaf variation. You were saying the freak, the the race, the race freak's pretty cool too. There's minos coming out of the land race freak show cross that are pretty cool too. Yeah, that and the, and the well, there's something to learn about the way the the leaves form like that. You know, like that doesn't happen just because right? like that mutation exists for a reason. <laughs> For the plant. <laughs> well, the CO2, it was you talking about the CO2 yeah. in the plant. Yeah, yeah. So we did a well, company I worked with, and they did trials of CO2 cham chambers. And when they did super elevated levels of CO2, they would morph back to that uh, ferns type structure. It was like 6,000 PSI or 8,000 ppms or I forget what the, the level was that caused that mutation but basically the plant didn't really need to make any more surface area so that's why I was curious if those plants are more efficient at photosynthesis because it would explain at least CO2 processing because that would explain why well, maybe the mutation yeah freak show does not does not shut down in the pure in the, in the raw sunlight here it just v's out and it's happy as hell and, and it actually only cultivar i brought here in, or i had I, I my kid sent me freak show but it's the only cultivar from from back in the states that i have seen reveg under the natural light here nothing else was refeged they just fully butt out and they finish but freak show uh, I left it because I was letting the beans finish on this one. And so that's how I figured out it started to reveg out. So that tells me that it is most definitely 90% thin leaf or sativa dominant, whatever you want to call it. Well, that makes me wonder if it's, if, if you can make something like the, the infamous Zamal, you know, there's always the rumored Zamal from, uh, from reunion that's supposed to reveg for, you know, three years or whatever. I wonder if you could, if you're triggering that same kind of gene mutation to kind of have a plant that you can maybe. plant and then, you know, have many, many harvests from it or whatever. Be interesting. Yeah, maybe Freak Show is a gateway to that. I don't know. But, but uh, 
you know, it revenge. I was pretty stoked with that. I was like, wow. So that tells me the freak show land race cross has a good chance of natural light from being and doing good in the natural sun. Yeah. From start to finish. Some might yeah, not because they. That was just a big concern for us in Thailand. Like the intensity of the sun here is major. It, it definitely affects the quality of the plant, the quality of the bud. <clears throat> And obviously, even the shape of the leaves. Oh yeah, but I think that I think that the freak show, just like Chris was saying, really is a uh, helps a lot with boost in the uh, uh, production for again narrow leaf stuff, and then also the freak show stuff just doesn't cook. You know, you're not going to grow your super wide indicus here. Your Afghan. <laughs> all right well um should we uh, wrap up the show uh, it's getting to be uh, about that time here i gotta get back to working on the farm here so uh, i do appreciate yep. everybody coming on the show um how do you, uh, uh let me throw your uh, instagram up here again. i can find you um anywhere else that uh, people can uh, find you or anything else right now or is that all you want yeah, we covered most of my controversial topics. <laughs> well, you can check them out at Recreational Rosin on Instagram. And um, uh, what about you there, Wes? How do people find you? You can find me uh, Wednesday nights over on uh, That Smoke Show. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram. And uh, yeah, where's the best? Oh, yeah, be sure to check out yesterday's episode. We got a great one with Matt. Yeah, Powers. that was a fun one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, high, high energy show. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> man. I felt like poor, like I was sat in a German classroom for half of that one. That some of the stuff you guys were discussing, Matt Powers, and the discussion you guys were getting into was some real next level. shit. I really need to go back and re-team with microbes again. <laughs> we, we need to get Jeff Lowenfell on. Uh, he's got his new book as well. Uh, be fun. He's Dude, I love guy. Jeff. I love Jeff. You should definitely get him on. Um, he's one of the reasons why I'm so into the autoflowers. We had that autoflower book. And, you know, as a syndicated columnist, he has an insight into the needs of the average gardener that not everybody has, right? He gets different views when you're getting asked those kinds of questions and kind of seeing from the top, top up, you know, an overview. And uh, he's like, autoflowers, nah. Now I'm like, holy crap, where's all the autoflowers? <laughs> so he was on to it before I was. And uh, Canatize Seeds, how do people find you? Uh, Instagram, Canatize Seeds, you can find me there. Uh, and Facebook, you can just, uh, you can just search can search canatizes and you'll find us. Sime so also in the house. Awesome, and I hope to see you here soon. Uh, I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm gonna come see you, dude. I'm gonna come. I'm, I'm coming. I'm gonna come chill. Hell yeah! Next, like, yeah. next couple days. Put it on the calendar, bro. Let's all go down there. Hell yeah! Awesome. Yeah. Tear it up. All right, and um, you guys can find me at Potent Ponics, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, all the things. 
Um, you can also check us out on Dat Smoke Show on SoundCloud, and we're working on getting it up on everything else. You can find it on a lot of the podcast platforms now as well in audio format, but uh, certainly go check out. We have a bunch of good episodes, and that shows, you know, sometimes I'm not around. Uh, Wes runs the show. Uh, I run the show. You know, it's, it's not just a one-person kind of thing. It's just kind of like a place for, for knowledgeable cannabis people to hang out. So definitely check that channel out as well at Dat Smoke Show, D-A-T Smoke Show uh, on YouTube. All right, guys, thanks a lot for watching. We'll catch you guys again next.